I uh, said to Richard before we started, um, did you choose Jesus, we enthrone you? Because the writer was here last Sunday morning. Uh, Paul Kyle, who wrote that from Belfast, living now in Minneapolis, was over with Norman and Jenny. And he said, no, I chose it because you didn't tell us what you were preaching about and I didn't know what to choose. So uh, thankfully, Chris Blake has prayed for our oneness, Richard, and we'll... Uh... <laughs> Despite it all, eh? And I also need to put you right here because there may be just the feeling in the house that the Stockmans are so well together on a Sunday morning that they have conversations about what happens in Fitzroy over breakfast. It didn't happen just as it might have sounded. In the midst of the madness of what goes on in our house, mainly me, as they would uh, tell you very quickly, running up and down, I was uh, getting the offering together and uh, Jasmine started asking questions about um, why do you put it in an envelope and why do you do that and why do you do this? And, and I said, well, in your day, Jasmine, they'll probably do it by telephone. And she said, really, Daddy? And I said, yeah, comic relief, you do it by telephone and we'll probably get it. And we both went, Joel could do an app. And that's where that came from. It wasn't a really, you know, fry, cup of coffee, uh, half hour to think about. It was one of those mad things. But it fits seamlessly into today because we start a new series today. Um, Jonathan and I will not be doing the same series over the next while. We'll be doing two different series. And my series is, why do we do this? Why do we come together on a Sunday morning? Why do we do an offering? Why do we have hymns? Why does somebody preach? Why do we have a benediction? Why do we have a welcome? What are all these things? Why do we do it? A while back, some of us were at an event where um, somebody got up after really wonderful worship, I thought, and said, uh, now that we've been warmed up, let's get on to something more important. I wouldn't have been so disturbed if it hadn't been a minister, but um, there was that sense where, have we lost something in what's going on here? What do you think of what's going on here? Do you think the welcome is important enough, let me say it, to be here in time? Or is it just a welcome that really nobody needs to hear and it's not very important in our life or in our service or anything else? Are the hymns really just warm-ups? Or in the planning of that service when somebody said, I would maybe need a hymn in there because you need a bit of a stand-up at that point. Is that what it is? Is that what Presbyterianism has made this hour or 90 minutes on a Sunday morning? Why do we come? Do we have to? What do we judge it on? Is it the sermon? What do we miss that is going on that we're not concentrating on because of the things we think we should judge it on? We're going to have a look at that over the course of the next couple of months, not every week, every other week. And you will find in that all my inadequacies, the things we're doing badly, the things that we need to do better. There may even be things that come out of this series that we need to take into session or other committees or Chris Blake and I need to look at as part of this worship or Jonathan and I need to look at at what we do in the other parts of the service. It's an order if you like. But please don't switch off and think, oh, they're looking at the mechanics here because my theory is that every moment of these 90 minutes or 70 minutes or 60 minutes is absolutely crucial to the spiritual growth of each of us. And we may even have missed that, or even we may be influenced by it and are not even aware of it. But it's possible that I do it so badly that I'm not able to make it into what can 
energize our faith. I'm coming from a series of books. We are currently through two of three of these, not in Fitzroy in the writing of. And I've mentioned them many times. James K.A. Smith. This is the first in the series. I love the way academics, uh, Jamie, he's known in Calvin College, um, is a philosophy professor, I think, at Calvin College. Um, Associate professor of philosophy and adjunct professor of congregational and ministry studies at Calvin College, actually. And uh, that's why he has to change his Jamie to James K.A. But I love the way they get their book titles. We've got Cultural Liturgies Volume 1 up here, but that's not quite sufficient. So Desiring the Kingdom is really the name of the book. But then underneath that, we need to have Worship Worldview and Cultural Formation. You've nearly got a book on the front page. But this series has been very influential for me as I've come into parish ministry again and started to think about all the things we do. Because what Jamie's saying here and in his new book, which is Imagining the Kingdom, part two, and you've heard me saying this a few weeks ago, is that when we come to use our cognitive minds to judge things, that at that moment we come to use our minds, a hundred other things have been used before we get to our minds to make the judgment. So for instance, I have the most incredibly varied Facebook messages coming in to my friendships. I have somebody from Lena Dune who will be telling us how to remember Uh, these paramilitaries from West Belfast who were murdered by the British Army and how we need to go to a service to remember those. And right underneath it, there will be friends from Ballymena who will be saying awful things about people in West Belfast and great things about the paramilitaries from the other side of the house who shot the people that they're remembering in West Belfast. And as I think about those, I think... Do we not just get to a place in our lives at 16 where we get all the facts before us and we come up with an objective thought as to whether unionism or republicanism is the way to go in our country? And if I went to those two people that I'm thinking of who sent those Facebook messages because it actually happened a couple of weeks ago, and I give my objective thought process to the troubles, why do the two of them not with the same objective process, conclude what I conclude, because I'm right, obviously. Well, they don't because when they come to any of those situations that are on our news, the objective is way behind them on the subjective that they feel about the other side and the colors of the other side and the flags of the other side and the history of the other side that's imbibed in their lives by the social imaginings they've grown up with. If you kick your football against a gable wall with balaclava-cladded terrorists from the age of 3 to 11, will objective truth or that social imagining steer the rest of your life? What Jamie Smith's saying is that we are really grabbed by all these social imaginings. I've talked before about how he uses the shopping mall or the sports stadium. But what he's saying profoundly is this, that this today that we're doing now is that which is a social imagining which should shape us in deep, deep ways. Yes, the hymns will, and we look at those. Yes, the prayers and readings should, and we'll look at those. Yes, the sermons should, and we'll look at that. But every little bit of this liturgy has an energy to it 
there is a habitual shaping of who we are. And so we start with gathering. Here we've gathered. Why? Well, ecclesia, church, is a word in the Greek that means called out. Called out. God is calling, this is Jamie Smith, God is calling and constituting a people who will look peculiar in a broken world because they've been called to be renewed image bearers of God, to take up and re-embrace our creational vocation, now empowered by the Spirit to do so. So this is not just a call to do something religious, something to be merely added to our normal life. It is a call to become human and to take up the vocation of being fully and authentically human and to be a community and a people who image God in the world. The bells, if they were there, <coughs> call out to the people of God to gather. To gather from all over, not only Belfast, but County Down, County Antrim, all coming into this place to be a peculiar people gathered to do something alternatively. Sabbath is switching off our identities because here you are not whatever your title is in your place of work. Here you are brothers and sisters and children of the living God. And those things that put you under pressure all during the week are gone for a moment. You don't have to live up to them, nor can you cling on to them. Because here, in God's eyes, we're all loved the same. Dave Thompson gave me a book on my 49th birthday, and I'm heading towards my 52nd. So it's taken me two and a half years to read it, called The Wind Singer. And in the world of The Wind Singer by William Nicholson, everybody in the world or in the community that the book starts in has to do tests every year. So your family would all have to do tests. And when you get the result of your test, you would move from BT9 to BT15 to BT nobody wants to live in. And everything is judged by the exam. Everything is judged by who you are compared to everybody else. And it's an image of the world that today we've been called out of to be an alternative peculiar people who do things differently. This gathering says we're all the same. We're all equal. Those who would not be in the same office, those who would not be in the same level of committees, those who would not be able to live in the same streets or get into the same yacht or golf clubs or strip bar parties are all here together because nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to his cross we cling. A peculiar people, all having fallen short and all having been redeemed by the same grace. So what's going on as we gather and claim community? Well, Chris Fry, last Sunday night in our first biblical quarter on that new event on a first Sunday evening in the month, left us with many thoughts. And uh, like many times it got, I just, I've now got the script and I'm going through that meticulously. But one of the things that Chris said on Sunday night, and he was quoting um, Walter Brueggemann in this, and I'm going to quote that quote. This is what I took out of it. And then later in the week, it became part of this sermon. Here we are as a gathered community. 
What does community do? Well, here's what Chris quoted on Sunday night. Life means to be significantly involved in a community of caring, meaning, and action. Death means to be excluded from such a community or denied access to caring, meaning, and action. Life means a capacity to enter into covenants and the ability to make covenants that are also community-creating possibilities for others. Life and death do not have to do, in biblical perspective, simply with the state of the individual person, but with the relation between the person and the community that identifies the person and gives personhood. We have gathered today not for just something that happens to us from the front. We have gathered today to be a community of people who will bring care, meaning, and action to one another. We declare that we want to be part of the same community under God, and that is going to change us. And the thing that also makes our identity different is that we come, and this service declares this, into a story. We come into a story that had a talking donkey last week. First time I heard applause of that kind for a reading of the scriptures in a Presbyterian church, I have to say. But the world outside does not live in a story anymore. They look to their past and they say, well, they've raped and pillaged our creation and we've been left with a freezing cold mid-April. There's an environmental apocalypse happening. The wars of the 20th century have suggested that progress only means we can kill each other more efficiently. We've chased after stocks and shares to make us better to the point where we've had a recession, which means austerity and all kinds of things for the poor. The past has been no friend of us. We don't want anything to do with the past. And the past means that we've got absolutely no future. So we might as well do what Jesus mentioned at one stage. We might as well eat and drink for tomorrow we die. When we gather, when we are called out of that kind of thinking into the world that we now are in in this community, we come in to a story where we see our place in the story of the past We see our place in the story of the present and we begin to look to a better future ahead of us. As a community, that's what we're declaring. We're a people of memory. We're a people that look at an ancient text and see truths that we need to live by today. We are a people who pray as Christ just has with expectation that we can be transformed and resurrected and we can find life and love. As a result of that, we're a stretched people who look way back and who look way forward, and who try to bring that into where our community walks today. This is why we gather. And then, that's all before we even say, good morning. How do we judge what we do on a Sunday? Then we have the welcome. I said it this morning, out of Jonathan's welcome. All The core beliefs of our Christian faith are uttered when we welcome one another as we are into the presence of God. Grace, right at the heart of all we believe, is fully, not fully, but really clearly and explicitly declared to everyone who comes. Single, married, divorced. Sing like Pavarotti, can't sing two notes. Fallen out of bed just out of jail. All welcome. Why? 
because we as a Presbyterian church have declared that you're welcome? No, because we believe something more profound than that, that Jesus, by his grace, welcomes us in to this gathering of his people. So, before we sing the first words of the hymn, if we were doing it right, we would have more than enough. We would have more than enough to chew on every Sunday morning because that is what is happening. Smith has said, <clears throat> my horizons have a history and represent a build-up of habituations and dispositions and inclinations to construe my world in certain ways. Christian worship is in some sense construal training. It is a divine encounter that should over time affect background transformation by reshaping my horizons of constitution. The gathering, the calling out, and the welcome. And then everything that we're going to look at over the next few months as a part of that should affect the shaping of our lives. The way this afternoon, as football team supporters gather together with the one or two different at each end of the stadium, colored scarves, will bring some sense of identity as they sing together, as they cheer together, as they do all kinds of things together. Shape identity. So this that we do on a Sunday morning, from the moment we walk through the door, it's why I'd love you to be here for the welcome. Because you miss profound stuff going on when you come in halfway through the first time. Every aspect of this hour is to shape us into people who will be the people of God. Peculiar people. People will say, how do they gather in the same room? In fact, people in the Presbyterian church will be asking, this particular church, how do they gather in the same They think, oh, they, they, oh, how does that work? Because we're an alternative people. Grace-drenched people. A welcoming people. And let me finish by reiterating what Dave said in his announcement. That welcome that you give to visitors that come into this church, it'll be touching on heresy, but I'll say it, is much more profound than the things that the minister says at the front. Because so many people have said, that welcome, that warmth, that ability to be myself, that chance to just be me, that is all the theology I would like to preach in the way that this congregation welcomes people into their midst. Profoundly missional, profoundly pastoral, profoundly revolutionary. And you do it well. And thank you for it. But realize how powerful that good morning is. Let's pray together. Lord, forgive us when we go through motions on Sunday morning, though Jamie Smith has said that 
even going through these motions just in a habitual way should be helpful, though they would not, they would be more helpful if we were aware of what is happening. So we pray that as we go through this series, you'll make us consider again all those little things that have come in over time, useful biblical things that have helped us to be a peculiar people, an independent people, a people shaped by the Word of God and that story that starts way back in Genesis and then comes through that incredible gospel story out into an early church and then ends way down the road from where we are in some other day. Make us into a stretched people, Lord, that can go back into ancient texts, apply those texts to our lives now with an expectation of transformation, resurrection, love, and life. Please, Lord, do it in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.